Well, good morning. My name is Joshua Kagan, and I have the privilege of being on the awesome teaching team here at Shine Church. Uh, not on staff, just on the teaching team, and have the great privilege of serving uh, in that role here with you guys this morning. Uh, what an awesome message last week that, Don, that Dan brought to us uh, in regards to humility. How many of you guys, either last weekend or this week, I mean, God's been touching on that button in your life or in your heart and reworking some things. Yes and yes and both hands for me. Um, what a great word to start off on as we're diving in this year to not only we started off with uh, who the Holy Spirit is, and how he works, and, and we're just digging into God's word, into, into um, how Holy Spirit transforms us, and that's where we're getting to now. We know who Holy Spirit is. We, we see how crucial he is. This is God with us uh, currently, God in us, and we, we spent the first half of the year going after Holy Spirit, and now we're to this part in the series where we're asking how Holy Spirit really literally transforms us, how he changes us. Uh, where he wants to do a work in conforming us into the image of Christ. Now, that's, that's God's end goal. Hopefully we know that. Because a lot of people are searching like, oh, God, what is your will for me? Where's the open door, Lord? And God, where am I supposed to go? What, how can I search? He's like, just be like Jesus. And that's my end goal for you. But Lord, I want to do something great. I'll just conform to the image of my son, Jesus, and you'll be everything I want you to be. Oh, but Lord, <laughs> I'm just testifying right now in my own heart to my own battles. Uh, God's grace manifests when we, when we submit and humbly submit ourselves to Christ and humbly submit ourselves to the processes, God's processes in our lives to humble us realign us with God, this is righteousness, aligned with God through Jesus Christ, and just walking with and in his Holy Spirit, transforming the world around us in a very natural way, in a very beautiful way, in a very simple way. It's, it's way more simple than we like to make it sometimes. But the, um, the, the natural progression for me after Dan's message on humility, um, I was asked to speak and we were all sharing stories about like our testimony and on the teaching team and, and how God's changed us and how God's transformed us. And it's very, it's perfect as far as the alignment of, of what we're teaching from humility. This week, I wanna teach on religion, religion. And before I go anywhere deeper with that topic, I wanna know, and I'm gonna pass around some microphones, the first thought that comes to mind or what goes off in your heart when I say the word religion? When I say the word religion, good or bad, positive or negative, like what is religion to you or what does it make you feel or quick little experience or first thought? Well, my family converted to Mormonism when I was a teenager. And that type of restriction and rules and regulations and how you look and how you act around other people, that's what I think of as religion as opposed to now where it's just relation. I won't even, I don't even like that other R word. I'd rather have relationship <laughs> yeah. instead of religion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Back here. Um, somebody texted in just a simple word, legalism. Legalism. Uh, from those two words right there, how many of you guys testify that those, those two things ring true with you a little bit? Okay, we have some more hands raised up here. 
Okay, religion is what drove me away from God. Yeah, yeah. Let's just drop the mic and go home. Right there. Okay. Man's interpretation of what they think the word says. Okay, man's interpretation of what they think the word says. Wow, that's good. There's some, there's some good fire coming out right now. Anybody else? Yes, hand here and hand here. For me being a history nut, it's um, taking the, the message of the Bible and converting it to a message to control people. Mm, okay, okay. Woo! Yes. First thought was pharisaicalism. Pharisaical. Yeah, and then uh, second thought was performance culture. Mm, Trying okay. to earn it. Okay, performance culture and pharisaical. Yeah. Going off of what he said, one of the words that I think of is cult. Yeah, cult, cult, sure. Oh, we're getting lots of hands. This is about to get good. <laughs> Great. Just on the flip side, uh, religion that is pure and undefiled is visiting the orphan and the widow in their need um, and keeping oneself unstained from the world. There we go. <laughs> Timothy, Timothy writes that. Amen. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I, Over here. Sorry. I totally agree with what everybody else is saying 100%, but on the flip side, so I grew up in a very, like, non-denominational background and ended up going to a couple very, quote, religious, like, traditional church services with some friends who I know are very faithful followers of Jesus. And it, I had actually a good experience and was like, there's a sacredness to how we're yeah. practicing yeah. here. There's a holiness to, and a respect, like, like in some denomination, like they won't even touch this beautiful Bible they have up at the altar. Like it's so holy, like they have to pray over like the tools to read it and turn the pages because they hold it as such a sacred text. So yeah. there's probably a balance there somewhere, but that's just like the flip side a little bit. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback up on that too because... Uh, like there's, I know Catholicism and like Pharisees and Sadducees and all that get a kind of a bad rap. But uh, if you go to a Catholic church, they even have benches where you pull down and you can kneel right mm -hmm. there in church. I mean, that to me, that's a there's a reverence there that sometimes is lost. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I really look for that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that we're pulling out both sides, positive yeah. and negative. I, I think usually it's like sold out. Like usually if somebody's very religious, they're very dedicated to what okay. they're doing. So. Somebody who's super devout, somebody who's sold out is religious, okay. Handcuffs. Handcuffs, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. That's good, that's good. Wow, there's so much diversity in your guys' um, thoughts on the matter, experiences on the matter, and uh, I would agree to all, <laughs> agree to all, that uh, I've had the same experience, and uh, unlike Unlike um, normally when, I, when we get the opportunity to, to preach and teach, uh, I normally would just open the Bible and we're just gonna teach the scriptures. I have a great reverence for teaching the scriptures and I believe that transformation comes through the word of God um, and God's word is actually the only place of authority. So if I, if I don't have God's word, I don't have the authority. Uh, obviously we talked about different opinions or people putting their handcuffs on people and their own ideas. Um, but today I, I do just want to share my story and my testimony um, because that's what the Lord's asked me to do. 
And I, and I believe that God has something for all of us in it. And, and maybe, if not just for me, uh, just as he takes me deeper on this walk. But I, I wrestle with the idea of religion and it's a perfect tie-in to pride or humility from last week because I think in a Christian's world, in a re- religious world, pride mostly manifests in some form of religiosity, some form of uh, self-righteousness, um, when we have to look good to others, when we fear man instead of fear God, when we have to do a lot of things, good things, to not only be better than everyone else, but to look good to others or to look good to God because we think the things we do or the way we do the things we do is how God has favor with us. Um, there's a lot to the definition of self-righteousness, uh, but in that there, there is a creepy little um, deceptive pride that can creep in. And I, I, I do believe in Christianity, Satan's greatest tool, and this is my opinion, his greatest tool to completely destroy the power and authority that Christians carry is by confusing them and and blinding them within this idea of religion and thinking that that's it. This is the end. This is it. Uh, religion or doing the deeds or 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 singing the songs or or giving the tithes and the offerings. I don't. However you define religion, the devout, you know, giving everything. Uh, it is weird. It is a weird, fine gray line between. Yeah, I'm actually doing this, Lord, because I love you and I want you and I'm doing it out of my revelation of love that you've shown me, the revelation of love that, that you've given to me because you've pursued me and now I, I can't help but love you back in return. And that, that little fine line between that and like, oh God, I, I'm really awesome. <laughs> I'm really, really good at this and I'm like actually really better than a lot of people and like, I don't sin as much now, so that's awesome. So I'm kind of awesome. And like, it feels good to worship you. It feels good to me. feels good. Because it's really all about me. It's not about you. And this is my, my story and my testimony. When I, and I want to just, I want to do right by the term religion. Um, because I don't want to just, uh, I know the word religion, especially in our Christian subculture um, gets abused and and I think is um, it's unfortunate when we when we take words and abuse them and they lose their definition. Um, religion appears only three or four times in the Bible, depending on your translation. Um, it's only in the New Testament and it's never mentioned by Jesus that term religion. Um, it's only mentioned in a positive light, which was mentioned um, Todd mentioned once already. It was it's only mentioned in a positive light in the Bible. Um, by Jesus' brother, James. Um, actually, it's James. I think I said Second Timothy, if I remember right, but I think James. Um, um, he says, uh, pure and undefiled religion is, is if you're gonna help the widows and the fatherless and if you're gonna keep yourself unstained from the world. This is pure and undefiled religion. Um, and we may get into that text today. I'm not sure. But uh, the Greek biblical definition of religion is devout, careful observance of spiritual traditions or principles, uh, the worship or fear of God, pious ceremony, 
an earthly attempt to, to satisfy divine legal demands even or sacrificially please God, um, sacrificially worship God. Uh, a dictionary definition of religion, less Christian, would be uh, the belief in a worship of a superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods, a particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. So whatever you pursue most or whatever you give the most of your, of your resources or time to, whatever is highest priority in your life, this is your religion. This is your pursuit of worship. Um, and I love those definitions. Religion is kind of a, a not as moral of a term as we make it out to be because a lot of Christians think, you know, well, I don't, I don't want to be religious. And it's like this negative thing. Uh, but I love the testimonies that we had of how religion can be a really positive thing. It's just the pursuit of God. It's just the coming together to, to attempt to find God, to worship God, to seek God. Um, and obviously it gets abused, it gets turned into cults, it gets turned into pride. It is, it is a weird fine line. And, and we think of where did religion even come from? And uh, in my best attempt to define it, um, it's that, it's that earthly, so I think of where it came from and I think of Adam and Eve and right when they sinned and they disobeyed God, in other words, they, they didn't believe and trust in God's love for them. It wasn't enough. Then religion was birthed and they ran from God. Uh, they tried to hide and they sewed fig leaves together um, to try their best to appease God and uh, hide in the shame of, man, I've made mistakes and now I'm not worthy. And God's love is no longer sufficient. God's love is no longer full, whatever it is. And I think religion was birthed right there. And, and even in a broader sense, in that moment, God seeks them out. He pursues them. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Uh, who deceived you? Where are all these lies coming from? Why are you walking in shame? I've never said any of that about you. And he, he starts I guess the more literal type of religion that we look at in history past, he kills an animal and clothes them in an animal skin. And he makes a sacrifice for their sin uh, and, just, and says, I love you, and clothes their shame. He clothes them so that there's no longer shame or regret, and he forgives them, and he just covers them in mercy. And then you see the nastiness of religion, right? Cain and Abel. Here we go. Now religion's really starting. We're making literal sacrifices. Uh, we're, we're worshiping God. And it, it leads to murder, right? Because your sacrifice is better than my sacrifice. And my sacrifice is better than your sacrifice. And God loves me more than you. And then now we have modern day religion, right? It's like, I'm better than you. You're better. I'm going to kill you. Mine, the ways to worship God's better, right? And we have Cain and Abel. And we've been trying to recover from that for a long, long time. And we're, to be honest, and it's really sad, we're kind of in, in the same place. Even though Jesus came and said, you don't have to be like this anymore. You can trust me in my love for you. You can sit in my love for you. You can walk in the reality of everything that I've paid for because I have paid to make all sin go away. And sin is just the deprivation, the, the lack of understanding God's love. That's all sin is. It's just falling short of, of the reality of God's love because if I walked in the perfection of his love, there's no sin. Sin doesn't exist. 
ah, that's where his holiness exists. Uh, But we have to create rules and religion uh, to try to bring us back into relationship. And God even gives 10 commandments, right? He gives 10 rules. Why does he give 10 rules? Why does he give 10 commands? This is so crazy. If God's pursuit is relationship, which is why he created humanity in the first place, he's just walking with Adam and Eve. Is that not enough? That's all he wanted. He created Adam and Eve and he comes to the garden in the cool of the evening every day and walks with them. That was his end goal. (laughs) Man, we've messed stuff up a lot. We have messed stuff up a lot and that was his end goal and he does everything to restore that so he even comes to earth and he dies to pay, to bring us back into just that intimate relationship and just walk with God and just love him and love others and then Jesus' question on his view of relationship and Jesus is like, well, you can summarize the whole law and the prophets by this, just love God and love others. Well, that's too simple. We need more rules. We need more demands, we need more structure. We mean, and God didn't give 10 commands because we needed more rules, it's because we sucked at relationship. (laughs) (laughs) You don't come into your marriage at your wedding day and in your ceremony, like here's 10 rules of how to do relationship with me. Don't cheat on me, don't say nasty words about me, don't, we don't need those rules because the relationship is founded on love and I would never even conceive of doing those things. But because we lost sight of genuine love and relationship, here's some rules to bring you back. Here's some rules to bring you back, to show you like, uh, this is how love manifests. This is how lo- what love looks like. You don't hurt each other. You don't, you're never selfish. You're never self-pleasing. So here's where my story picks up. Um, I was uh, born in Missouri. Um, and right after I was born, um, we moved to Colorado. So I'm pretty much raised in Colorado my whole life. Uh, my parents were in ministry and moved from being in ministry in Missouri to being in ministry. And by ministry, I just mean full-time, vocational, paid you know, ministry. That's what they were giving their lives to. And, and I was born into this really perfect family. Um, in, in whatever sense of the word. I didn't get to choose where I was born. I didn't get to choose what family I came into. Um, my parents are awesome. They love each other to this day. They're still together. They've served the church all these years. They've been in ministry most of their life. Um, but I was born into this family that we're, we're serving the Lord. We're now missionaries to Colorado since 1987. And we moved from Missouri to Colorado and my dad helps, uh, I think, plant a church or come into kind of like a new church up in Fort Collins. And I'm raised a PK. Who knows what a PK is? Oh yeah, the PKs, watch out for them, <laughs> right? That's how I grew up. They, everybody kind of like, oh, the PK, they're, uh, the pastor's kids are, they're a rough crowd. Lord have mercy. Uh, so... I'm raised in that environment and I praise God for that environment in in one sense. I praise God for parents who just loved each other, who loved God, who sought him, who sought his word and they were doing absolutely the best with what they had. Like there's no perfect parents, there's no perfect family, there's no perfect religiousness. Um, There's no such thing. And they were awesome parents and they still are to this day. And so I had a great privilege of being raised in a home where my dad was a pastor and then we're for about five years up in, up in uh, Fort Collins, and then right when we moved down to Denver to be a part of a new church plant in Denver, um, kind of down by 
I think it's Lowry Air Force Base. It's kind of downtown-y or closer to Denver. Um, my dad is on staff there for about 12 to 14 years, somewhere in there, as he is uh, a pastor. And I remember when we moved down, I'm about five years old. And that's when I, I had a dream one night. I had a dream when I was a five-year-old. It was this dream of, of hell, really. And I was terrified of hell. I was terrified of darkness. I was terrified of the devil. And that's, that was the conversation starter when I came to my parents and came to my dad, like, I need to, I need to know God. I need to, like, be in heaven. I need to, and so, however, however you came into the kingdom, that was my journey. I, that, at that moment, my dad, I remember him sitting me down and walking through the gospel and using these little, like, G.I. Joes as, like, action figure illustrations, and, uh, and it was awesome, and I gave my life to Christ and was baptized as a five-year-old, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later in my story, but it, it's, it's interesting being saved or becoming a Christian as a five-year-old because we're trying to, when we give the gospel to people, when we're inviting people into religion, Christianity, what, what we really should be inviting people into is a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is how evangelism should be. This is the goal for life transformation because we preach this reality that if you come into relationship with God, everything will change. Everything will change, and it cannot not change. You can't meet and come in relationship with the creator of the universe and not change. You cannot be saved and not change. It's, it is legally impossible. It is spiritually impossible. It is physically impossible. But here I am getting saved as a five-year-old, and um, later on it catches up with me that I'm trying to, like, get all these sinners to get saved and, and they're like, well, how, how did your life change? Like, how did God change? Your? I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, I, was, I was five and like, I hadn't killed anybody at three years old. I hadn't gotten drunk as a four-year-old and I hadn't, I hadn't like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think like, how did God like change me from my sin and take me? And I didn't really grasp relationship yet and I didn't grasp uh, the fullness of the gospel. But I know my faith was pure and my faith was true and, I, and I've never, by God's grace, um, erred from the faith. Never, I've never wandered from the faith as far as like believing Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is my Lord he, and, and he is my savior and I'm gonna walk with him forever and I trust him alone for my salvation. I've got nothing to add to this. Well, I would have said that theologically, but as I was growing up, I'm in a pastor's home and I'm in a really, uh, what some people would define religious atmosphere. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the denomination of Baptist. How many of you ha have some Baptist roots or Baptist background? There we go. There's a billion dominations, denominations out there. And not only were we Baptist, but we were independent fundamental Baptist. I don't know if you've ever heard of that denomination. Um, I have since married a, what is it again, missionary? Landmark missionary Baptist. I didn't realize there's so many tags, like so many different... But I was independent fundamental Baptist. And what that meant for us, and where legalism, you guys use this term, I'm, I'm not gonna take time to define all the different terms. Uh, I pray to God that we can, we can um, do right by defining terms well. But where, where I should, I'm gonna say where pride seeps in to religion was as I'm growing up, all of a sudden, like, well, I, I kind of got saved out of like, well, I was already a good kid. And now, like, I'm an even better kid. And, like, I don't really sin that much. And I'm in this religion that prevents me from ever going to theaters and always wearing um, a suit and tie. And girls are always wearing dresses. 
um, and uh, we always have to have our hair perfect. It needs to be sideways. It cannot be forward or spiked or in any modern way because that's demonic and evil to have any kind of modern haircut. <laughs> and girls cannot you know, bring attention to themselves so there can't be any kind of patterns or designs or words on their clothing. And we use, you know, there was a part of time where we were King James only um, and there was a lot of people who believed if you didn't only read the King James Bible and if you weren't saved by reading scriptures from the King James Bible, you weren't actually saved because King James version of the Bible is the only version of the Bible and the only one that's uh, ordained by God. And uh, we're, we don't listen to any music but classical because that's the only music that God blesses is classical music. Uh, and every other form of music is demonic. And... Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, it's like, it gets really goofy, right? We're not allowed to go in any stores or restaurants that play any kind of music that's not classical because they don't represent Jesus and we could come into temptation and, and sin because we heard wrong music. I mean, it, it becomes this weird culture, as some of you guys said, of handcuffs and, and it was just a culture. Like if you asked them the theology, I don't think people would have said this is our theology, but the culture produced this religious spirit that all of a sudden like, man, I really don't sin because I'm trying really hard and I'm doing a great job and I've set up so many barriers around me that now not only am I like really good, but like I'm re way better than you. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be honest because you're like still sinning and you don't go to the super super church that I go to, you don't wear the super clothes that I do, and you do other sins that I would never even mention because I don't even speak those words, that sin, and I don't even mention that. And all of a sudden, and I'm not speaking for anybody else in my church. I'm not speaking for my parents or for my sisters. I'm not speaking for anybody else. I'm talking about my own heart because other people, as I, I love the testimony that was shared, um, some people are in the same environment and they're probably intimately and humbly loving the Lord and walking with the Lord and experiencing the Lord. So I'm not speaking uh, against uh, forms and functions and structures. I'm speaking to how my heart adapted to it and, and where my heart went astray. And so all of a sudden I find myself very self-righteous and I'm gonna pray more than you and I'm gonna compare myself to how awesome I am in Christ by how much better I am than you, even in the religious sense. So I'm gonna pray longer, and not only am I gonna pray longer, and I'm gonna fast more, and I'm going to read more scripture. I joined the Bible quiz team, so now I'm on the national Bible quiz team where we memorize whole books of the Bible at once, and we go around the, around the country competing at who has more Bible knowledge. And we would get up on the stage, and we'd have chairs that had these little beepers on them that could sense your butt like if you flexed, and it would say who jumped first and who stood up first. Right, and so you've got, we were learning, we're practicing skills on how to like jump just right so that the judge would know who stood first and could answer the Bible trivia. And so we had memorized whole books of the Bible and we're traveling around the world impressing people with the Bible knowledge and, and my heart in it is like, man, I've memorized all this Bible and somebody, a referee, a judge could stand over there and say, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, who said, and right when he says, who said, I, I have that whole book memorized so I can go and I can answer his question perceiving what he's going to ask. So I'm in, in this and then, and, and then when I start as a, I think a nine and 10 year old 
in preacher boys class. And so I'm learning how to preach as a nine and 10 year old. And every week I'm in preacher boys class and we're learning how to exegete the scriptures and how to preach a sermon that's theologically accurate and get our transitions just perfectly so we could communicate the, the God's word. You know, I'm, here we go. Bible nut guru. Beautiful thing. I actually praise God for the immersion in the scriptures that I had that I didn't value and didn't understand and didn't didn't appreciate at the time, and I and I never won any preacher competitions. I used to go to preaching competitions, and we would preach in front of judges who would rate our 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 exegesis of the scriptures and our transitions and how we landed the plane and convicted the people and got all this stuff done. And what that produced in me was different than I think was was. Uh, originally intended, because what was intended was just to train train guys you know, in loving God and preaching the word, right? Train guys in uh, getting to know God's word. But what it produced in me was, uh, man, I'm I'm really awesome, and I've got a lot of cool tools, and I'm way better than all of you, and I can outrighteous you pretty pretty well. Uh, and and not only that, not only am I going to perceive myself in that position, but I'm going to actually call you up to that expectation. So like really condemn you if you're, you're not praying three hours a day? Oh, Lord, that's sad. That's sad. You haven't memorized most of the Bible? Oh, oh bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. You, right? Condemnation, shame, and then a lot, of, a lot of why I'm doing what I'm doing is out of discipline and out of duty or out of fear so I'm not, I'm not even taking communion anymore because of the fact that I may have sinned, but I don't think I sinned because I'm really righteous and I'm really good at not sinning. But I don't want to take communion because there's this verse that I misinterpreted that says like, oh, don't take communion unworthily. And so now I'm not, I don't take communion for like years because like people take communion and it says, oh, some people have fallen asleep and some people have died because they've done this unworthily. Like, oh my gosh. Like, so now my self-righteousness becomes, I'm going to hide and I'm going to make myself look good, but I could never show you that I actually have sin in my life or that I'm actually struggling or that I'm actually not as perfect as I come across. But I do have to keep kind of condemning you and make myself look better because this is how I value myself and how I feel righteous and how I feel right with God. And so this is my journey through middle school and high school and... Uh, then I get to college, and by college, God's grace and his love meets me uh, with a tidal wave because, oh man, now, now it's on. I am at Bible college, and I am getting a Bible degree at the university that my sect of religion praised as like the, the mecca of, of oh, independent fundamental Baptist schools. And I am not only... Uh, the chaplain of many different societies preaching the Bible and leading the worship. Um, and I'm getting a Bible degree, but I'm the student body president and, and all of this, right? And the whole time I'm empty and I'm trying so hard to be good and working so hard to do all the things for God because I got to do more. You have to do more. It's, it's never satisfied. It's insatiable. You have to do more to feel more. It's like any drug, you can't just have a little. It's all the deception of the enemy. You've got to keep going. You've got to go deeper. You've got to go higher. And so I've got to do more. Now I've got five ministries and I'm the chaplain for different ministries and I'm the student body president. And over here I'm sinning with my girlfriend but nobody knows it. And over here I'm like 
skipping out on, on whatever it is, but I'm trying to tell people, oh, no, I'm still here. Yeah, 14 times a day, I have devotions, praise the Lord. Uh, now, now, now the lies and the deception start to creep in, and all of a sudden, I've got to make myself look better, and it gets harder, and it gets harder, and God is very, very, very far away. And this is terrifying reality, that you can look like everything awesome is going on and you can be doing all this stuff for God and you can be in his word and have it memorized and him be a thousand miles away from you. And that is terrifying reality. That is a terrifying reality, but people bite that bait of the devil and they keep working harder and they keep doing more and they keep trying to peace God or trying to really look good before God or other people not realizing that Jesus' blood is all that makes us look good to God and other people, not realizing that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that produces power through your life. I don't care what you do or who you are, what you say or how you look. And I realize that and I come to a moment of brokenness where God humbles me and a friend calls me to the floor. My best friend at the time sits me down. He says, uh, in a more appropriate way, you do not see how arrogant you are. And he used some other beautiful vernacular uh, in that phrase. He's like, you don't see it. You are so arrogant and you don't, you don't see it. And this is the scary thing about humility and pride. Pride is the one and primary sin that you can't see yourself. And God, God, God allows it to be that way because pride has to be dug out through humility, which means brokenness and somebody calling it out in you or some other way than yourself because pride is all selfish. That's all it is. I can do this myself. I can do this myself. It's all about me. This is for me. This is about me. This is through me. This is by me. Pride, pride, you can't see it. You have no ability to repent from pride without the Holy Spirit and, and probably other people. You don't even have the ability and that's terrifying because it takes God's brokenness to crush that. And so God crushes me, not only through this friend who I was like, who are you to tell me? Right, that's, the first, <laughs> that's the first sign that you have pride when someone calls you to, to sin, calls out the sin in you, and you're like, who, who are you to tell me? Like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done for Jesus? Do you know how many things, how many people I've saved? <laughs> I'm terrified, and that's sad to think how many people that I, I thought I was saving um, and now I look back and like maybe I was in some forms, and, and but by the grace of God, I was standing at the gates of heaven pushing people away. Like, like someone said here, like I forget who testified, like religion pushed me away from God. And that was, that was me. Um, I, I hope that nobody on the other side of glory would be able to say, but I can only imagine how many could say, if, if, it, if not by the grace of God. And... Josh was the reason I didn't end up in heaven. Josh is the reason I, I ran from God because he taught me legalism. He taught me how to do righteous instead of be righteous. He taught me how to think I knew God but walk far from him. And, uh, and that's a terrifying thought. My girlfriend at the time breaks up with me. My life shattered because I think we're supposed, I, had all the, I had it all worked out with God how this whole thing was supposed to work. In, in life and ministry and marriage and, and building churches and doing all the things and doing all the things. And God humbles me and breaks me. And then he grants me the grace of brokenness, the grace of humility. And if you don't humble yourself, 
God will do it because he loves you. And it hurts a lot worse and it's a lot, it's a lot rougher ride. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the end of the ride. Yes, sophomore year of, of college, here's Mr. King James Bible memorizing whatever guru. Uh, not only does a girlfriend break up with me and my friend calls me out of my pride, um, I get released from my duties as a student body president because of some wonderful things I did. And, uh, and I'm no longer allowed to be a student body president at this university and I kind of get black sheeped as the, in the Bible, in the Bible uh, community of the Bible college. And, uh, uh, and then someone hands me, of all things, a new living translation of the Bible. Lord have mercy, like how could someone stoop that low and be that evil to have a different translation of the Bible and I open it by God's grace and I could not put it down. I had never actually heard God. Like I have read God's word for years and memorized it all and I had never heard God. And then I'm hearing God for the first time. He's speaking to me and I am weeping every night like falling asleep in a puddle of tears uh, on, my, on my new living translation and I can't get enough of the book of Romans because I'm understanding the gospel for the first time. It's not, it's not just an understanding, it's an encountering Jesus Christ, the living Jesus Christ through his word which is living and active and this is happening for the first time in my life. And I'm a wreck and God's granting me repentance because you can't repent without God's grace even. I'm realizing how I don't have capability of anything without God and without his grace. And I'm nothing without him. And Jesus is not just a means to the end, which is a deception in my own mind that I had believed. Well, Jesus, if I use you to get what I want, I can use religion to become awesome. I can use religion to get the girl I want. I can use Jesus to get the church I want. I can use Jesus to get the ministry I want. Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus was not the means and the end. He wanted to be the means and the end. He wanted to be everything. My wholehearted pursuit, and this is just coming into reality. And so God breaks me and he's changing me and, and the last years of college are beautiful. Um, I uh, meet the most incredible woman in the world after I graduate at a Christian Bible camp and we're having a fun time worshiping Jesus and serving the Lord at a, at a Christian camp in Pennsylvania and we pursue getting married um, and long story short, I'm at that phase of life where we are engaged and I moved back here to Colorado because I had moved obviously, uh, to the university for a season and my family had moved to go plant another church in California um, around that same season and uh, so my parents are still doing ministry stuff and now I'm done with Bible college and not sure what God has for me, not sure I'm where I'm going, but still feel a call to full-time ministry, but a little confused about things. And we come to live here in Colorado and, and uh, my wife is pursuing a degree at Colorado Christian University and like, ah, let's, let's come back to Colorado. This is where my family's always been called. This is home for me. And so we come back in Denver and within about nine months, um, I am offered a position at a, at a large church in, in Denver. Um, and so here I am, my first staff role, actually on staff myself, not just dad, not just a pastor's kid, but I'm on staff at a church. I'm there for about six years, and here's where, um, here's where it takes another turn and where, where I realize God's always, always, and never done doing a work on our hearts and our minds, right? I join a church, 
I feel like I've been humbled in God's grace and I am understanding the gospel and I'm in a church and now I'm getting to see the realities of church and uh, I'm on staff at a church and I disagree with a lot that is going on in the church. Staff, finances, um, ways we're doing things, philosophy, methodology, because now now I'm free and I'm in the gospel and I understand God and so now I really know how church should work. <laughs> Here's the devil, watch out. Now I really know how church should work because God's humbled me and all this stuff. So I get about four or five years into being a youth pastor and family pastor at this large church and, um, and, and I'm growing discontent in, in a righteous way too. I, I, I believe God was calling me out. God was, had different things for my life but but my criticism of the church uh, started to brew again self-righteousness and pride in me. And uh, I'm seeing everything that's wrong with the church. How many of you guys have ever been to the perfect church before where everybody's perfect? <laughs> Nobody? Where is that church? Where is that church? Because I thought I knew where it was. Like if we just followed these 10 rules and if we just laid out this awesome map and we just created this 15-page philosophy guide and methodology guide and we could go out and plant the perfect church and be the perfect church if we just did it exactly how Jesus did it in the first century, but in 21st century America, if we just copied it exactly and we just did this thing, it would be perfect, and nobody's doing that. And why aren't you doing that? And why is no church is doing that? So all of a sudden, here we go, like my nose is down towards the church. And who knows you're in a bad place when you look down on Jesus's bride. You're gonna be in a bad place. He loves his bride. He loves his bride with passion. His bride isn't perfect, but it is in him because he paid for it. And when you join the accuser of the brethren mentioned in Revelation and you start putting your nose down towards any form of the church, Jesus' bride, instead of loving them and saying, man, we're all not perfect and we gotta figure this thing out together and we just gotta keep pursuing him and we just gotta keep loving him and we just gotta keep seeking him and I'm gonna make mistakes and you're gonna make mistakes but we're gonna do it together because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy and we're his bride that he's trying to, to unify so that he can come back because when she's spotless and wrinkle-free, he's coming back for her. And so he's just... He's just manifesting his love and trying to grab our hearts and we're trying to do our best with whatever religious style or philosophy or methodology you have. We're just trying our best and I didn't realize everybody's just trying their best because I had it figured out finally. I had read the whole Bible 14,000 times and had most of it memorized and here it creeps back in again um, and so I leave I leave the church in, in, on good terms and we bless each other and I try to guard my words um, because who knows, if you speak down about Jesus' church in any form or any way, or you speak down about another brother or sister in Christ, you're joining the, the accuser of the brethren, you're joining Satan himself. He stands in heaven, he stands in heaven, Revelation says, to accuse the brethren. In a legal court, he stands there before God and says, oh, they, they stepped outside of your love, they stepped outside of your blood, oh, they're sinning, and he accuses the brethren, and unless we walk in the blood of Christ, 
we join the accuser of the brethren. We, we give into those sins. We give into those temptations. We believe the reality of Satan's accusation instead of Jesus' sacrifice. This is, the, this is Christianity. Are you believing the accusation? Or are you believing the reality of Jesus' blood and sacrifice? And this is the wrestle in heaven. And I joined, started joining the other side. And I believe I had it all figured out. So now I leave. This is 2018. I leave the church 2019. And I'm going to plant home churches. Because we're going to do it just the way they did in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And we're going to do it organically. And we're not going to have any denominations. And we're not going to have any names. And we're not going to have any paid staff. And we're not going to have any finances. And we're going we're to undo all of the crud and the red tape and the hardship of church. We're going to undo it all. And we're just going to be organic Jesus lovers. And everything's going to be perfect. And we're not going to have leadership because they're terrible. And we're not going to have people because they're terrible. We're... And, and it's just going to be me and Jesus. But you can come along if you want and we'll worship him and walk with him. Oh, Satan is a devil. He is a devil. And so we're we're doing everything perfectly. If you would have come to our house church, you'd say, man, that's the most theologically, biblically correct house church we have ever seen. And inside, I'm still, this isn't it. This isn't it because I'm trying to make it about it instead of just Jesus and loving his people. And you cannot have an awesome church and you cannot walk with God without embracing his bride and all of who she is and then realizing that you're the chief of sinners. Unless it starts there, you're gonna be in trouble. And you even see Paul's words as he's writing to the church throughout all of his epistles and his letters. He starts saying like, oh, I'm a sinner in Romans. And then he gets into other letters and he's like, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners and, and I'm the least of the apostles. And then he says, I am least of all the saints. I mean, you follow his progression and eventually in his humility, he realizes, oh man, it's worse than I ever thought, but it's better than I ever thought because of Jesus. So only where sin abounds does grace abound all the more and glorifies Jesus. And so grace pours out and I'm realizing this, but we're, here we are 2018 to 2022 and our church, in my opinion, is falling apart. I mean, people are going to different ministries and they're, and they're leaving our little home church. It doesn't have any structure. Oh, praise the Lord, it didn't have any structure because structure is terrible. That's not biblical at all. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And, and all this stuff, right? And the church is kind of falling apart and, and all of a sudden our marriage starts to fall apart. And come a year and a half, two years ago, um, to be honest, in, in, in a, it was a short chunk of time three, four, five days and, and somewhat two weeks of major eruption. I was, I was fine being divorced. I was fine leaving. I was fine being done. I was fine just finally gonna be alone with Jesus, which is what I've always wanted because that's really where he is. And that's terrifying to think that you can run off to a cave and be with Jesus and he's like, oh, I'm not there. I'm not in the caves. I'm here where it's messy because Jesus' body is, is his people. That's where you're in relationship with Jesus, where it hurts and where it's hard and where it, where it pulls on you, where it takes complete love and selflessness and where it's not fair and it hurts and where things aren't all perfect because that's why God didn't give us a perfect model because he lets us be creative in seeking him because he wants lovers. He doesn't want employees. He wants lovers. He doesn't want slaves. 
He wants lovers. He wants people who really have a genuine affection for him because they just want him. Not for what he can do for them or what he can give to them or that he can make their life perfect and easy and comfortable and pleasurable. But because they just love him and he gave, their whole, he gave his whole life for us. So how could I not give it back? And how could I not help everybody else experience that radical love? And so we're, uh, I'm ready to end our marriage. I'm fine with it. And that's really scary when you get convinced to that level um, that it's, that, that you're just willing to leave. Um, and God, again, humbles us, humbles me, I should say. And um, by his grace, our marriage is spared. Um, by his grace, our, our family is spared. And here we are a year and a half, two years ago, and we go on this journey to find church. And I did not ever want to step my foot inside another church ever again. I hated church, and I had books written how I could prove how church was built and denominations were built and religion was built by the devil. And I had all the books to prove it and I had all the philosophies in 300 AD and how the Roman church came to power and they institutionalized, and I would never step foot inside of an institutionalized church ever again. It's the devil's work. And I was convinced, and we're never going back, and Jesus, Jesus is speaking to me. He's like, if you're ever gonna come back to me, you need to go back to church because you need to meet my bride and you need to realize who I love and you need to realize how, how far gone you can get in your self-righteousness and your thoughts about yourself and about my church. And you just need, a, you need humility, you need my grace, you need my church and you don't even think you need my church. That's terrifying if you don't think you need help. That's scary. And by God's grace, we found Shine Church. <laughs> just amen, amen, amen. God's grace. God has been brewing this place, I know, for many, many years in his spirit and in his grace. And I don't know how many of you have a similar testimony where you found God's grace here. You're finding life here. You're breathing again here because it's just about Jesus and there's nothing else going on. <laughs> just Jesus and a lot of Jesus and a lot of love and a lot of humility and a lot of selfless sacrifice. And I, and I never wanted to go back, but I, but I, by God's grace, God allowed me and gave me that repentance to to bring my family back to a church, a building, and, uh, and we found nothing but God's grace and God's amazing mercies and forgiveness. Uh, as, as Laura was leading this morning, God was speaking to me as, as she quoted David in Psalms 23 and 27, and his goodness hunts you down because he loves you so, so much, and you can't get away from it, even when you think you're, you are God's goodness. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll bring you back. He'll bring you back and he'll show you his grace and his mercy. And I'm here just to testify that he's not done with me yet. He's not done with me yet. I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't arrived yet. I only realize now, 36 years into serving God and pursuing God and, and 30 years into my salvation story that I am so far, I'm so far from, from having it all figured out and being perfected in Jesus' love and, and knowing him as intimately as he wants me to. And so I'm just making that invitation to you. And wherever religion has led you, wherever religious spirit has hurt you, um, check yourself. Check your heart. I'm gonna leave it there and I'm gonna pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for you your sacrifice, and for your bride, the church. 
Thank you for whatever ways religion has blessed us and brought us back to intimacy, brought us back to relationship. And Lord, in any way that it is hurt relationship with you, then Father, have your way with it. Have your way with us because it, it seems to be less about religion and less about the systems and the processes and more about our hearts and how we embrace you in it all. So Lord, anybody who has scars in this room because they were really beat up by religious people or religious systems, would you heal their hearts today? Would you fill the gaps in their hearts where it has been broken and split, where they've been hurt by leadership and people who claim to be Christ followers who didn't know what they were doing and, and they're not perfected yet, they're not perfect and they were just trying to do their best with what they knew and what they had. Lord, would you heal would you heal this morning? And for those of us, Lord, who've struggled with pride and self-righteousness in religion and looking down on others or judging or condemning others for their religious practices or their denominations or the way they do Jesus' relationship, Lord, forgive us and have mercy, please. Meet us there and grant us repentance. Uh, Lord, we do love you and not nearly as much as we should, but we want to. We really do want to, and I pray you would see our wanter right now and you would increase our wanter for you, Jesus, and only you. We love you so much. and pray this in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me share my story and my testimony. Um, just sitting over there trying to pray about exactly how to kind of wrap up this, this weekend's message. And um, I, I've heard it said that if you want to impress somebody, tell somebody your successes. If you want to impact them, tell, tell them about your failures. And Joshua, I think you made yourself incredibly vulnerable today to us. And I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I can't even fully comprehend right now just what the Holy Spirit's doing in me personally and just the the roller coaster that you went through, and yet I think it touched probably so many people in this room. Um, I, I think most people would agree, you could probably find yourself in his story somewhere. Mm. Um, somewhere in the midst of those pendulum swings as you went through it. Um, and it is an honor to have you and Laura as a part of this church. Um, I'm humbled, I'm actually humbled by each and every person that walks in through the door every weekend um, because I recognize that we we are just flawed human beings that are trying to do the best that we can um, and that you guys would want to be a part of this family is just absolutely amazing and um, for you and Laura and the fact that you guys um, stumbled into shine um, and what you guys don't know is I got to see some of this journey uh, being a part of the pastor prayer group um, Joshua came into that group. That's where I met this man. And I got to see some of the struggle, um, some of the pendulum thing as he talked to us pastors about how great house church was and kind of had that look like, why aren't you all doing it? You know, and, so, and, and seeing kind of God shift that and, and swing that in his life, it's just been, it's been incredible to watch him grow through that process. And then for the two of you to come and say, hey, you know, we, we really like the family here at, at Shine Church and, and be a part of it and get plugged in and um, and now be a part of the teaching team. And uh, I'm going to embarrass Laura because Adam's voice went out. 
Adam leaned on Laura, and Laura was, had to lead all three of those songs, and she did an amazing job, yes, this morning, the worship. Praise the Lord. Just absolutely amazing. And just, they have allowed themselves to be stretched. And so, um, maybe something you don't know about the Kagans is that they do have a heart to reach um, the lost for Jesus Christ. And in particular, they feel called to Colorado. Um, and they have for a long time. And so he has, um, they have kind of struggled on how to do that and what's the best way. Uh, there for a little while, Joshua started a construction company, very handy and individual, uh, but it just felt like the Lord, even though he was blessing him financially there, uh, felt like the Lord said, no, that's not what I want you to do. And so he currently is a chaplain um, for several um, secular organizations in the front range and his job during the week is to go to these places uh, what, do, what do you call yourself the corporate chaplain you mean or yeah a, the corporate uh, chaplain, care coach the or, care coach yeah, he, yeah. he goes into these companies and and he refers to him as, as, as a care coach which everybody's like oh, okay we need we need care but then he gets to go and tell the good news about jesus christ yeah. Yeah into these um, secular companies, which is just absolutely amazing. So he's doing that up and down uh, the front range, but it doesn't pay very well. Um, and so he's just trying to figure out, um, you know, how, they have four kids. I don't you can imagine, just trying to make, it, make ends meet. So um, they have had something stirring in their heart uh, to really start a nonprofit. And so they have recently started a nonprofit called Revive Co., Dot org. Um, and so I'm going to put up a QR code back there. I want to ask you to pull out your phones and take a picture of that. Um, and here's, and I've said it from the very beginning of Shine Church, um, we want to come alongside people and we want to help you, every single one of you, whatever you feel like God is calling you to do, we want to come alongside of you and help you uh, accomplish that um, through the power of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, as a church family, this is a great way that we can help the Kagans do what they feel like God has called them to. And so I want to encourage you, uh, scan that QR code, look uh, at the information that's taking place. Um, and they're actually looking for people to help them financially with that. And we would strongly encourage uh, anybody that, that would have the Holy Spirit speak to them, man, partner with them and help them with this. I think the goal, I think the goal is that you could do that full time and, and not do the chaplaincy and just that. Uh, but we, if we can partner with him and, and help that to take place, that would be absolutely awesome. If you can't scan that QR code, obviously, revivecode.org, you can get to that website. But um, we just appreciate uh, the Kagans. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your ministry, you. man. Whoa, that was exciting. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And um, and I genuinely mean it. I, I am honored and humbled that each one of you would call this part of your um, church home and your family. And thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. So we love you. You guys be blessed. Oh, wait. No, I felt like the Lord told me one more thing. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I did feel like the Lord told me to... Um, and I've done this from time to time in the first five years of Shine Church, but if you have been hurt, as Joshua said, if you have been hurt by a church ministry or by some form of leadership, um, I know I'm not that leader. I, I hope I'm not that leader. <laughs> Maybe some of you are in here. No, you have hurt me. Uh, I, I just want to stand on behalf of leadership of churches, and I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the truth is, um, you know, sometimes leaders hurt other people. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just good to hear uh, an apology. And so on behalf of whatever ministry or whatever leader or whatever person um, it hurt you, please accept this apology. I'm sorry for that. And understand that God is much bigger than any person or any leader. And please don't judge God based on what that person has done. Amen.